This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Larder Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix, located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. exciting this sport is. This is what, this is where experience comes in. Sammy James is dialed right in. He's going to the bank. He's challenging Longshot right now. He's sticking it to him. This is offshore powerful racing at its best. Thank you. 
this boat handle. Whoa! They are on the warpath. The Apache team is on the warpath. They're going like mad. It is a sight to see. We're sitting here. Yeah, the Apaches are taking scalps today. They're not taking any prisoners, I guarantee you. They're showing us how it's done. I haven't heard of wing those engines one time, and this is rough throttling at 90 miles an hour, folks. Superboat National Championship Edition of Nostalgic Radio Cars. We've got a great show. Hey, run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and we are live in the studio. Don't forget to visit our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Also, if you missed any of our past shows and you think our show's a great show, which it is, not bragging, but I am. It, it is a great show. It is a great show. Hey, Bill, how you doing? Bill, Bill, we're there. That's why I was trying to get your attention because some day was in there doing a commercial and I had to push down an audition. Yeah. So the first 10 seconds when you're screaming, nobody was here. Nobody heard me. No, nobody. Oh, no. Okay, wait. Welcome, everybody. You're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars, the Clearwater Superboat National Championship Edition. Is that what I got to say? I got to do that again? Yeah, you got to do that. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Hey, and go run to Facebook. Like us on Facebook. And, hey, real quickly, we have a giveaway tonight. I have, okay, for the 11th caller, I have a pair. And for the 13th caller, I have a pair of VIP tickets to this weekend's Clearwater Superboat race and the event, okay? So that gets you out on the pier. It gets you at the Hilton or up at the Hyatt. It gets you into Shepherds. It gets you into the VIP dinner on Friday night, okay? Plus the concert on Saturday. So this is a $100 value times two per couple, okay? So the 11th and the 13th caller call into the Nostalgic Radio and Cars. That's 441-3000, 441-3000, you will win some tickets for this weekend's event. This is a great, great, great event. And, uh... I'm a big boat fan. So, and we got some fascinating guests tonight, okay? So, I've got uh, th- not one, not two, but three guests calling in. They're all involved with either A, cars, or B, more importantly, because of this weekend, the powerboat races. So, this is good. And they're in all three different uh, venues, okay? I actually want to say venues, different classes. So, we got a guy that's running in Super V. We have a guy running in Super Cat, okay? Uh, they haven't been on the show before, so these are new guests, and uh, I'm looking forward to having them on. And we have a media relations specialist coming on who also has some very interesting history so anyway having said that let's see what else we got going on okay we got a ton of car shows coming up here but we don't have a lot of time because we got these guests that we're going to be bringing on here in a little bit so next week we have another special guest coming on and i will be highlighting some of the upcoming events that are coming on like for example sema's next month we've got the our st pete yacht club concourse that's coming up we got the winter park concourse we got festivals of speed we got a number of auctions we got mirror lake auction and concourse next month i mean there's just a ton of stuff plus the first of the month Every month, don't forget, there's Webster, the car show swap meet. How am I doing there, Bill? You got like, you got like super octane in here. I got super Am I talking too fast? Do I need to slow down? Well, anyway, there's so much to get out, and we only have an hour or 57 minutes, 53 minutes. So we're doing, like. <clears throat> we're doing the song and then rib check and crabbies, right? Yes, and then go ahead and call our guest because I would like to get our very first guest on because we have a lot of talking to do tonight. I'm sure she's going to have some good questions for you. She's listening right now. She's on the air. She's listening right now. Oh, well, super. Good, 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 good. Did she call in or did you call her? 
I called her, and then she called back. Very good. Very good. Okay. Well, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Enjoy the song. from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radiant Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know, you might get a free drink. 
That's Crabby's Beach Walk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Hey, this is Ted Nugent celebrating the American dream on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to the Clearwater Superboat National Championship Edition of Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, all right, let me let you know, callers, we already had one set of tickets given away. Now we have one more set left. No, so gave them both away. They're all both. Somebody else called in. Yep. All right. Well, all right. That They went quick. You know what? I might have a third set, but if you call in, if you're the 15th or 16th caller, okay, I got one more set of tickets left. VIP. These are the VIP tickets for the Clearwater Superboat event this weekend. This is going to be great. Anyway, all right. Let me tell you, it's just about time to introduce our special guest for the evening, or one of our many special guests for the evening. This lady is a, well, I guess you could say she's a media relations expert, okay, uh, she's been involved with motorsports, water sports, particularly uh, offshore powerboat racing here for the last couple of years. And what's really interesting about her is she has a very, very interesting history. She is the great-granddaughter of the very first winning car that appeared at the Indianapolis 500 in 1911. So that would have been the Marmon Wasp 32. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this evening, Ellen Greenleaf. Ellen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How you doing? Did I do the intro okay? Yeah, you did it. It's been auto racing. It's been offshore powerboat racing. And how exciting is this Clearwater Superboat International race that's coming up, and um, you're going to have some incredible teams and, um, you know, everything that the race producers and their crews are doing, it's going to be incredible and awesome. So they're saying it should be bigger and better and better than last year, because I guess they evidently, last year they had like 27, 28 boats, they're expecting 35 or 36 boats this this time, something like that. exactly. It's going to be just amazing, and the different classes... And that's where people don't get it. Um, you know, it's like, you know, you've got different classes of racing, different categories, and they start out with the pace boat going out, delivering those boats out, and then you got pace two who's putting out, you know, some other classes. And so they go around that track, and, I mean, what a beautiful race site. You've been to, you're, you're, are you going to be able to make it this year? I know you were here last year and the year before, right? Right. I'm going to try and be there. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. So if you had to compare Clearwater from your perspective, okay, as a uh, media relations person and some of the other things that go on during this particular weekend, how do you compare to, uh, let's say, like Sarasota, for example, or other venues in uh, the southeast or up the eastern seaboard? Well, I mean, the venues are all different. And we've raced rivers, uh, lake, and the Atlantic, and on the Gulf. And so it's, um, you know, it's very challenging depending on the race conditions. And the race organizers, um, they have it all together. How many race organizations are there all together that are involved with um, offshore powerboat racing? Well, in the U.S., it's the um, OPA, OSS, and SBI. Okay. And SBI... Superboat International is going to be in Clearwater. They are going to be awesome. Okay. Of the race organizations, they pretty much all have the same classes. Is that the way it works? Yes, Okay. They do. So they yep. all have Superboat, Unlimited, Super V Unlimited, Superboat, Superboat Cat, Super V, and Turbine, and, and Stock, and, and Factory, basically. So they all have basically the same classes. Is a lot of it geographics? I mean, do ne- so in other words, do the guys from the East Coast compete with the guys on the West Coast, or is that one of the reasons why they have two different uh, racing organizations or multiple racing organizations? 
Well, those race organizations are um, doing, you know, what they feel they can do in their different classes as well as their different places. And so um, the hard part is the boats traveling with the fuel costs um, into our different places that we do. Now, you as a media relations expert, so what kind of like would be your job description or what are your duties and functions? I mean, what do you, I mean, obviously you're in the PR end of it, correct? I'm in PR, I'm in event management as well as in a little bit of security. Okay. Um, you know, where we go and what we do and what we need to do, you know, we are all there. Now, usually when they do these type of events, how far in advance do you guys plan the events? As far and from a PR perspective, well, you know, only with PR, yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to give it out. But also, we are dealing with Coast Guard mm-hmm. and uh, Marine Police mm-hmm. and everybody else, and so we um, work with our med safety divers, and um, you know, we are all there. So there's a lot of logistics involved, and you're kind of involved in that end of it as well, then, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I work with um, every single aspect of between teams, mm-hmm. like Time Bandit Offshore, okay, Motley Crew, okay, um, Miss Geico Racing. Oh, really? Okay. And um, oh, yeah, and um, you know the race organizations, wherever they need us, we will be there. Okay. Now, you mentioned some of the, the uh, teams that you would work with. Do the budgeting and the sponsorship on a lot of this stuff, do you ever get involved in any of that stuff? Or do you just, uh, I mean, because you mentioned the crews, or, I mean, the actual teams. Do you get involved in any of the team management itself? Yes, because um, all our teams have to be involved in how we deal with the race organizations and the different crews. And um, we're all there. And we work with absolutely everybody. Unlike auto racing, which I also do too, okay. uh, the fans can come out and, you know, put their shells and their kids in a cockpit on an offshore race boat. You can't do that in auto racing. Okay. And that's, you know, that's the way they go. Okay, so but, you're, um, you're talking about, let's say, for example, like on Saturday, they'll have the dry pits, which will be the downtown Clearwater area. So basically, if anybody wants to bring their family, their children, their kids, they can actually interact with the boats, the drivers, the throttle people, the team owners, and so forth. And that's kind of where you're going with that, right? Right. Saturday okay. and Sunday, okay. they can bring the whole family down and meet the drivers and meet the throttlemen, and they can jump into a cockpit of an offshore race boat and, um, and su- experience that. Okay, that's super. Okay, that's great. Okay, yeah. In fact, we did that last year and the year before and the year before. So i got to tell everybody that uh, that I can tell you from first-hand experience, that's a lot of fun, particularly for kids. Uh, did we? Are we having a technical difficulty here? Are you there? It's called this crazy phone system. The crazy phone system. Okay, well, anyway, let's go back to the Superboat races. We just lost our guest. We're going to try to get her back. At any rate, we got another guest coming on in a little bit, and uh, he is one of the boat drivers. There's two guys that sit in the boat, okay, just to bring you guys up to speed. Okay, the boats are so far, so much sophisticated compared to 
20 years ago. It's just amazing. I mean, for, in terms of safety, in terms of equipment, let's just take, for example, the Supercat, okay? The Supercat is basically a 36-foot skater, okay, which is a twin hull, if you want to call it that, okay? And they pretty much ride on top of the water. They're perfect in flat water. In flat water, these boats just accelerate like crazy, and they take off, and they've got some tremendous speed. Although they're handicapped somewhat when the seas start getting choppy. So when they get about four-foot waters, I mean, they're dancing around there pretty good, and they're chine walking, and they're running all over the place. Where That's where a deep V, uh, a Super V, for example, has a tremendous advantage over those boats. Okay, So, like, for example, if these guys are running in rivers, if they're running on uh, smooth water, like will be like a two-three chop, like out here in Clearwater, maybe this weekend, um, if it's not too choppy, the, the skaters will just fly right past the Super Vs. If the water gets around four feet, a little bit taller than that, and gets real nasty, and you get some crosswakes going back and forth from the boats, the Super Vs, the deep V boats, will probably do better, okay? They're not, they're generally don't mile an hour as much, because a deep V rides in the water a little bit more, and of course, it's, there's more friction and suction, and keeps the boat, and keeps the hull and everything in the, in the water. Do we have our guest back yet? Ellen is back, and then she suggested that I call Michael and Mark. So all three are on the line at one time. All three. Okay, well, let me introduce them one by one here. We have Michael Stancombe. Michael, are you there on the phone? Yes, I am. Okay. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Welcome to the show. Michael, you uh, pilot a 36-foot Supercat, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. And then uh, we have Mark Neiman. Mark, you're there, and you pilot a uh, 30-foot Phantom, right? Deep V. Yes. I'm here. Thank you very much for having me. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. One by one, I'll bring you guys in, and we'll talk a little bit about your boat, and then uh, we'll all have like a just a general conversation. So, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, Phantom 9, because you're the team owner, team manager, and team operator, and team driver for Phantom 9, which is a deep V uh, 30-foot. Is it a Phantom boat, too? Is that the brand? Yeah, that's the brand. It's a manufacturer. It's, uh, it's, it's actually it's built here in Sarasota by Will Smith, and... Like I said, it's a 30-foot um, DV boat, and it's, um, it's, com- it's competing competing in the Super V Lite class, the Super V Limited class. It's a single-engine um, inboard class. We do like top speeds up to 96, and it's a canopy boat. It's really exciting, or really interesting uh, race uh, category because it's like a spec class, you know. So we're not running to a, a, a certain top speed. We are like running boats are kind of like kind of same kind of same kind of hull same kind of engines type of style so it's really competitive and it's uh, yeah it's really interesting to to drive this kind of boats now you have an interesting past you're from germany okay servus guten abend yes, right. <laughs> and uh and you r- started racing in europe so tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into racing <laughs> oh i started in the um late 80s early 90s with jet ski racing and then i become promoter for offshore racing in in europe and um then for yeah almost like by an accident um i get back into racing i was racing in over in england for a couple of years as a professional driver for honda europe and then um, after that, I uh, stepped up and become a, a professional racer in P1 Evolution, which is like the big, big V-Haul boats up to 3,000 horsepowers. Uh, this is for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, I ran into my wife in Key West, one of the races in November 2009. And yeah, it got picked. Got packed and shipped, and now I'm here in the states. You're not here in the states. Okay. Now tell us about now those boats you're talking about with 3,000 horsepower. You were running those basically in the North North Sea, okay, between what Germany and you race in Sweden, and then uh, sometimes in the Atlantic. Now that kind of a boat, how long, how big a boat was that with 3,000 horsepower? Uh, 
Right. This was one of the boats I built by myself and wrecked it by myself for the team owner. And it was a 43-foot C-Rex boat. We completely um, developed and uh, built it by ourselves. And um, this thing was specially built for rough sea um, races. Um, like you said, we've been racing in the Mediterranean Sea, the Atlantic Sea, as well as the Black Sea. And um, this was really intense uh, on the material and everything. So, yeah, we need a lot of improvements to this boat. It takes almost over a year to get this boat back uh, on the water. And um, the interesting part on this kind of racing was that we were running to a power-to-weight ratio. So um, we had all different kind of boats in this category. Um, starting from lighter boats with less horsepower to bigger boats with more horsepower, which makes it really interesting to the um, handling into rougher or calmer water. Okay. But these were all deep V boats, though, right? Yes, they're all deep V. Only V hulls was allowed in this uh, races. You know, the thing is be- between catamarans and, and V hulls, they tried to mix this up here in the in the early years. I mean, they're still doing this in the peak classes in the United States. But the thing is, you know, if you go up in the morning and take a look in the water and you see the you look at the water conditions and you see it's really rough, most times this is an advantage for the V house. If right. it's out there, it's flat and smooth and nice. There's a big advantage for the catamarans. So what they tried in Europe, they really strictly. Um, yeah, kept them away from each other. You know, said, okay, we want to go where you go with the rough water. That's what the weather will be. Or most of the time, boss over in Europe, um, saying we're just staying with the V hulls. So this was was their idea about offshore racing, like they did in the in the in the early here in the United States too. How many races a year did they do in Europe when you were over there when you were campaigning? Um. So let's say, for example, in um, Super, in, uh, sorry, in, in the Honda Formula Four stroke races, which I did first for Honda Europe, um, was like a 28-foot outboard boat. We just had 12 races a year, um, which was like um, six events, six venues. We had just two races every weekend. And then in P1, it got really intense, um, where we had like seven to eight uh, races, a, uh, sorry, event a year. So we did like three races a weekend, which was a big challenge for the mechanics and the material and, you know, just try to keep the thing together and, and just make it to the weekend. The racing in the North Sea, I would presume that that's fairly rough water up there compared to, let's say, out in the Atlantic or out in the uh, Mediterranean. Would that be a fair statement? Um, of, I mean, first of all, yeah, it was much rougher. So we've been racing up there to 10, 15-foot seas over there. And then, of course, uh, the, the, the uh, North Sea is known for this really hard, short waves, mm-hmm. which kind of almost destroys everything on the boat. It was really hard to, to survive for to the weekend. And then, of course, when racing in the Mediterranean Sea, and as well as the Atlantic, where you always have to really deal with your setup of the boat. Sometimes you're like this long swell, like we know here from, from the Atlantic on the, on the um, east coast of, of Florida. And then you have the next race is where you had to deal with this really hard, sharp water. You know, you have to completely deal with a complete different kind of setup for your boat. So it was really interesting. It takes a lot of time and, and um, knowledge and, of course, a lot of money to, to make yeah, to, to race over there. Compare European racing to racing in the United States, for example. Um, it's a totally different story, to be honest with you. Um, and, of course, first of all, because I'm racing a different class here. So that, that's the first thing. So I'm, we are not racing this Tandem 9 team. That's, that's my team where I'm racing as my throttle man, Kurt Yeagle from California. 
and my wife, she's actually running the team as a team manager. Um, so this is more like a family affair here for me. So that makes it the first big, big difference uh, for me. But um, the um, the race side here in the United States, of course, much nicer, especially down here in Florida, you know, with the nice weather, you know, crystal clear water, nice people. It's almost like, almost like you're on vacation here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still really- Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, Mark, what are your seas? What are your waves? Yeah, this- I mean, we've got two to three, we've got four to five, six, you know. Oh, okay. You come for okay. Com- concerning the, the the water here, um, we're racing a much smoother water over there. I mean, we've been. I think our roughest race this year was actually the first race of the year in Cocoa Beach, where we had like um, four to five, six. Well, was a kind of really chop on top of it. So this is already pretty intense. But like I said, I'm running, I'm racing now a, a much smaller boat than I did before. So um, that's the first thing. I think that's the biggest difference. Um, shorter race courses, um, bit smoother water, nicer events, you ni- nicer weather. So on the bottom line, it's it's more relaxing to race over here than it was in the Europe in Europe. Okay, let me ask you another question. Now, I know this from motorsports, okay, that the mindset of the European race car driver, you know, let's say in, in, in GT racing, someone that races at Le Mans versus someone that races at the 24-hour Daytona, the American driver versus the European, it seems like the European drivers, and most American drivers have said this, that the Europeans are slightly more disciplined, for one, and a little bit more focused. Would you say that that might that that would hold true for boat racers as well. And then, of course, I want to get Mike's opinion on this, too. All right. Um, it, it's really hard to answer this question. I mean, we have really we have teams out here. Um, they've been racing Europe with me before, like Lucas Oil and, and um, other big teams. Um, they're for sure teams out there. They're really pushing it to the limit. They want to, they want to win the national championships. They're going for the world championships. And if you want to be, uh, yeah, if you want to be competitive, of course, it takes a lot of discipline. Body-wise, fitness, material-wise, comparing, uh, com- um, preparing your boat right, you know, make your homework just to be really, if you want to be on top like car racing, you have to do your homework. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is here, uh, the, the story is different, you know. Flora is such a nice boating area, and people are just they're just enjoying they're just enjoying boating, they're enjoying racing. In in, in Europe, it's a bit more intense, let me say, you okay. know, because it was just a short season, and everybody was just focused on this season, and and everyone just was so prepared so well, but it makes the competitive the comp- uh, competition so hard over there. I gotcha. Um, let me go over here to Mike real quick. Mike, welcome to the show. Now, tell us a little bit about your background. You're also you were also in the cars. I guess you started out with cars before you got in the boats, or the other way around. Uh, actually, I started out in boats first before I did anything. Uh, when I was 11 years old, was my first, very first boat race, my first trophy. Um, you know, and then we've just progressively got bigger. I raced motocross for Kawasaki and then got back into the boat. So I think I was thinking, why should I stand something I could make money do? Doing so, I went into boat racing with my father. <laughs> now, are you from are you from the Sarasota area first? Because you're in Indianapolis right now. Did you go back and forth, or how'd that work? How'd that come about? I uh, I actually went moved to Florida when I was uh, 20 years old to chase the dream to race boat racing, and I I actually lucked into a job in Sarasota 
with uh, John Connor, Connor Marine, which was Tom Gentry's throttleman. Oh, really? Interesting. And, um, that, you know, that's a pretty uh, good history there. And then his his shop manager was was uh, Craig Archer or Brett Archer from Australia, and I learned out I learned a lot of stuff from him over the years. Now you said you also hung out with uh, Norkskog and some of the other big names, uh, the uh, legendary. Well, we 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 read about them. We oh, okay. didn't hang out with them. <laughs> okay. uh, Copeland, yes, we got to finally, but uh, um, you know, it, it, later in in our in our sport. But uh, you know, we just read Powerboat Magazine for years. My dad had jet boats when I was little, and uh, you know, the offshore racing was. They come also, and it just looks so intriguing. Now you said and, you did uh, some. We did it. You did some drag boat racing too. Tell us a little bit about that. You were into some SKs. Uh, oh boy! Well, we were not the poster children for uh, for uh, Coast Guard safety. Trust me. Um, <laughs> we had a couple incidents in our drag boat that uh, actually spit me and my sister out of the boat, or my dad and my sister out of the boat. I'm the only one that stayed in the boat. Now what? And, uh, no life jackets on, so we. Uh, we really do uh, enforce that now, okay. especially with my new son. But, yeah, we've done some 140-mile-an-hour, quarter-mile passes and drag boats. Uh, we just got another one earlier this year. We don't know what we're going to do with it. We're going to be playing with it. So um, now, that's just that's that. Uh, now, I know, but, Mike, tell, tell them what you have done with Pepper's Lucas Oil uh, offshore. Well, we've just been busy over the last... The, you know, the last 30 years of racing, um, building stuff. Now, Peppers is the name of the racing team, correct? And uh, so Peppers, basically, you're involved in, this, in in offshore boat racing, you said, what, 20 years now? Uh, 30. 30 years. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, since I was about, I was, my first race, I was 15 years old, was in Sarasota, Florida, in a 20-foot Monza that we rigged and built uh, um, our own surface drive for so um we we're some shady tree mechanics and building stuff when you yeah, uh, but you've also been involved in auto racing oh yeah that's right you're talking well you said your dad was involved in drag racing back in uh, what late 60s uh well he started also when he was 15 years old and you know it was what 62 <laughs> so uh his first drag race and then um yeah, we ran all while I was a small child. I remember riding in his Chevy, too. I don't remember him racing very much, but I remember riding in it. And, you know, a U.S. national champion, and uh, I believe it was A-Gas back then. And then um, uh, we've just now acquired a new 2012 uh, Dodge uh, trackback car that just, we just finished up putting a roll cage in and get it ready for Possibly some drag racing this fall and winter down in Florida. You, that, you're going to run that car, what, like a Superstock class? Yeah, yes. We're, we're dialing it in right now, getting everything uh, set up and see what we're going to do with it. You know, see where she runs and how close it is to the to the record in the class. And we'll decide if we put bigger horsepower in it and step up or we just stay where it is. Okay. Let's jump over to the Superboat now. You run a Supercat, and it says Peppers Offshore, and then does your boat have Lucas Oil on the side of it too, right? Yeah, we had we had Lucas Oil as a sponsor. Um, we're still trying to work with them, but um, right now it's back to Peppers Racing again. And okay. uh, also had Popeyes on there for a short period of time when we won the Nationals down there in uh, Clearwater in 2010. Okay. Now, the, your, your 36-foot Supercat, that's a canopy boat as well, like... Uh, um, like Mark's boat, his deep V, right? Yes, it's full canopy, full time air system. Okay, uh, now safety's first. In the twenty five, thirty years that you've been racing, has 
briefly, just kind of give us some of the, the, the in, a, in, a, in a fast way, the evolution of the boat and how the changes are. I mean, you know, compared to the old days and compared to the way it is today, I mean, is it almost night and day difference? Yes. Uh, my good friend George Lander is one of the head guys that, uh, you know, designed the catamaran, offshore catamaran boats um, and got it to where the sport is now. And I was lucky, you know, you know, real fortunate to be able to watch it before I got involved in it and watch how the boat progressed from from the Jesse James boat, which was a boat similar to ours in 84, 85, with seven, eight, 900 horse a side in it, and I've got a 36-foot skater, same boat. It's got 525 horse a side in it, and it's running 30-mile-an-hour faster. Interesting. And that's all basically due to hull design, right? Hull design, uh, hydrodynamics, uh, and uh, gear, new drive systems and things like that. And then, the reliable, and then, of course, the carbon fiber and Kevlar that is being used now. But, you know, George Lender, with working with Chris Craft at that time, was the ones that really got it rolling. And uh, then Pete at Skater took it from there and just uh, leaps and bounds every year, come up with new things. And he's just an incredible boat builder. You know, Dad and I were integral in designing the, the deck part of our boat because we were doing things different aerodynamically and safety-wise for us and, and that we had been over and uh, almost lost my father, so we stepped things up a little bit. Would you say the canopy is a safety thing as well as an aerodynamics uh, issue, or is it, I mean, which which one is it, or is it both? Both. It's both. That's a big safety thing, but aerodynamics, you know, it helps a lot because, you know, a lot of us aren't running those big thousand horse engines in there. Mm-hmm. So we've got to keep it as slick as possible. And, uh, you know, it's constant testing and moving weight and trying different things before every race is just try to find another tenth of a mile an hour because it makes a difference after 100 miles. Now, your boat, your skater, you've got an escape hatch between the two pontoons or the two uh, two hulls, right? Yes, yeah, we like to call that the $50,000 window. The $50,000 window. Okay, Mark, on your boat, on your deep V, what do you have in the event that your boat spills over and you, you know, you flip over? How do you what's your what do you have for a safety net to kind of get out of the boat real quick? That's the thing. We just have a hatch on top of the boat. So um, if we are flipping or we're rolling this over, um, the only way for us is really to dive out of this boat. So um, like Mike on his boat, we have like a permanent um, kind of scuba uh, gears in there. So we got we got air from, from a scuba tank. Mm-hmm. So we just have to use this to dive out of the boat. How long, in other words, let's just say, and you know, God forbid, obviously, but let's just say the boat rolls over and you're sitting on top, okay, or under, and it's flipped over. How long can you survive? How much air do you have uh, before the rescue teams get to you? Um, we, are, we are playing it pretty safe. So we have maybe air up to um, 10 to 15, let's say 10 minutes for each pilot in the boat. Okay. Now let me ask you this. In the event of a rollover, do you stay put or do you actually physically try to escape the boat? Um, no, we're trying to, to escape the boat. And um, after this terrible race last year in Key West, where we had this terrible accident, um, the, the safety aspects got much more tighter. Okay. So um, for every race, we have to um, to, uh, have to, to um, give kind of like an escape safety plan to, to the promoter, which kind of so, uh, explains the, the safety divers, what we are doing in, inside the boat. And uh, the biggest improvement we did last year, beside the um, fixed-mounted uh, oxygen system inside of the boat, we have like a little spare air bottle, it's called, 
which we are carrying on the leg of our, uh, in, in our, our legs is just a small oxygen bottle, which we are just using to dive out of the boats. Okay. So the um, thing is really you, you just sitting in there, you just, you know, it's like if you are rolling over in the car, it's the same thing in the catamaran. You really have to wait until the boat completely gets flooded with water before, uh, until you have a chance to open the hatch because of the pressure from the water pressure from the outside. You really mm-hmm. have to wait until the thing floods. And this is where you really need the, the air for. Okay. And then if the, the, the pressure is kind of like, uh, the same like the outside pressure, you are able to open the hatch and you just trying simply to dive out. Okay, so you have to wait till it equalizes, so to speak. Right. Okay. Right. Now, in the event of the race, for example, if you were to have a mishap, would it happen more than likely in the turns, or would it be something that would happen, let's say the boat gets out of shape in a straightaway and you're trying walking pretty bad and somebody crosses in front of you? What's the most likely event of a of a mishap? No, it's, most, it's, it's mostly turns. I mean, um, especially when you're talking like uh, rough water races like down in Key West or in the Gulf or the Atlantic, um, you know, we're, we're coming up and turn, the wind direction change, so the waves are coming from the other way, on the other side, and this is actually where the most accidents are happened. And Mike will, will um, confirm this, especially the catamarans, you know, if you're racing with the wind, it's a completely different trim and setup. And be coming around the turn, and all of a sudden the wind comes from the front, and you, the waves come from the from the front. You have to dramatically change the setup of the boat to not flip it or roll it. Okay, Mike. Now, if you're coming around a turn, and you're how fast are you guys going into the turns? Uh, well, in our class, it is so close, and we have so little horsepower. And believe it or not, that's a true statement. Little horsepower. Uh, and torque that we roll in at wide open in a buck twenty eight to a buck thirty five. No kidding, that fast. Yeah. Now, are you in a skater? You know, a twin twin V boat or twin hull boat? Are you likely to hook and flip as opposed to a deep V? Um, if you get into trouble, let's just say, for example, I mean, if there's some you know some nasty stuff, some winds and some yeah, crossways. Yeah, it's easy. It's easier to do. Um, you know, I've spun out both. Okay. And I don't like either one. Okay. <laughs> you hook a sponson, and you've got a really good chance of putting it on the flat side. Okay. The top deck, you know, and that's not something you ever want to do. It's just uh, a lot of money, and it's very dangerous, you know. And then with two people in there, especially being me and my father, you know, it's just one of those situations uh, that we don't want to do. We've done it once and not planning on doing it again, so we put it uh, – we spit – Two months in Panama City testing turns at wide open throttle, and I know exactly right where the boat needs to be at, at a turn, going in full bore, and I learned in Lake of the Ozark what the next step over it is. <laughs> we spun it out pretty good in a buck 20 and a pack of eight boats and uh, scared the bejesus out of uh, me and my father and everybody else that was in what that was behind us. Oh, I can imagine. So, yeah, now. They, all the front and then the back and then the front again. And what's going on? <laughs> now, uh, Mark, he does steering and actually he operates the trims and stuff. Now, what do you do on your boat? Do you throttle or do you steer? I am no, the I'm... truck driver, crew chief, throttleman, and I don't want to stuff. I don't know how. Okay. Now, Mark, you, you, you said you set your boat up a little bit differently, right? Yeah, we change a little bit different. Um, normally what the driver, we, like you said, we have two cars in the boat. One normally is in charge of the throttles and the trim of the boat, and the driver is in charge of uh, 
of course, driving or steering the boat and, and do the navigation. Um, we have a little bit different setup. Um, for me as a driver, I take care about the trim and the, and the driving, and my throttleman is actually just doing the throttling and the, the navigation, which is still a really intense job. So, um, you know what the most people don't understand? They say, okay, how awkward is it that you are have the steering wheel and somebody else is actually handling the throttle, and how does it work out? Uh, the thing is that most people don't understand that these boats need so much work because we are racing on, on streets. You know, every turn is different. Every time you go into a turn, you have different waters, you have different waves coming. So it's, it's, it takes you, you have to be so focused on. So, and, um, I'm pretty sure Mike will, will confirm that it's, it's almost not impossible to drive a race boat just by yourself, wide open and, um, so this is why we have this two-man teamwork in the boat, and this is what it takes. And for my opinion, um, I just like to feel the boat with the steering wheel, with the trim, and um, like to tell my trial man what I'm to do, what I'm asking for, what kind of speed I'm asking for, where I want him to, to troll back when we coming into the turns, when I ask him to go back wide open on full power when we coming out of the turns, and of course, especially in the straightaways. Because um, I can, for my subjectors, I can tell by the steering wheel how the boat feels and how it handles and everything. So this is why we why we change the rules a little bit in the in the boat, and it looks like it works really good for us because we are we are really successful this year. You mentioned navigation. Yeah, yeah. And we, wait, wait, wait. Let me just say the thing is they call it NASCAR on water. Yeah. And the thing is, it's a constantly moving molecular track. I mean, every single many seconds. That's true. It changes. Yeah, there's and so these guys, uh, they get their race course, no matter where they're going, Clearwater, Key West, um, wherever, um, it is constantly changing. That's why the throttleman and the driver are so connected. Mark, you mentioned navigation. So, if your if your throttle man is navigating, what is it? What is explain to me what navigate what what he would be navigating? In other words, what 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 would be the feedback to you? Um, of course, first of all, um, he has a he has a nice GPS screen in front of him, and we're always hoping that the thing works in a proper way. So that's the first thing. We he just tells me, you know, which way to go, where is the next pin, where is the next turn. Really? And, um, and yeah, of course. I mean, you go like Key West. It's, it's a pretty huge uh, race course. I think the lap is, is almost eight miles. So, and from one pin to the other, oh, okay. sometimes you, you cannot really see the next turn. So you just you just assume and you're just guessing where you have. You try after uh, a couple laps, you're trying to find your landmarks. You say, okay, I have to go this kind of way. But um, the navigation is it's pretty important. You know, especially if it's getting rough. You have maybe not the best visibility out there. Um, after a couple laps, you have some steam coming from other boats. They're, they're just pass, especially when we're racing with the, with the big boats with the big turbines. They're much faster than we are, so they put big rooster tails out. Um, sometimes it's easy to follow those guys, but you don't really always want to trust these guys because okay. they can they can do some misnavigation too. So you always want to be sure that you're going the right way to the next pin. Okay. Mike, now you drove uh, Donzies and Fountains, so tell us a little bit about uh, Donzies and Fountains. Oh, boy. I, I fell in love with that Donzie uh, ZR, 38ZR when they came out with it. Uh, 
and literally uh, ran the pace boat in a Daytona race over there and told the head of racing, my friend Steve Simon, I told him, I said, man, this thing feels like my skater. If you ever need a throttle, man, call me. Okay. And I went back to Sarasota, and he called me up, and uh, we were a very integral part of making that boat a success for Donzi. It was a fabulous piece of machinery, and we put it to the front in racing. Now, that was a deep uh, V, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then the fountain? Found another V-bottom, same class, ran factory two class. We had 500 Mercury engines in it and uh, set a world speed record with it with uh, my friend Luke Dickey driving and uh, spent uh, 2002, won it with Donzi National Championship with Donzi, and then uh, they asked me to race Fountain with them in 2003 and enjoyed a, a, a fun fun uh, circuit with, with loot racing and at the end of the season Donzi needed me to come back and throttle for them and I told them I had a commitment with the fountain racing team and that I'd have to check with them and I gave the first right refusal to fountain I said you're either going to have me or you're going to lose the national championship they said we got this and uh, they lost the national championship to Donzi oh wow <laughs> I went back <laughs> Well, hey, you know, it was great. It was really a fun time. And, you know, back when we were talking about navigating, back when I first started racing open class in 1989, you know, I was a navigator then. And in Key West, it was seven miles to the first turn. Jeez. Yes. So if you were off a little bit on your compass heading and then GPSs were illegal, all you could run was with a compass. If you were off, you were lost. <laughs> hmm. And uh, yeah, those were two hundred and twenty mile races. Jeez, not this eighty mile stuff. So you know, I I got to experience that, and that's something that uh, I wish some of these guys. Well, we you know we've run that Bimini run from Miami to Bimini and back. That's similar, but we have GPS now. It tells us where to go. Then we had a chart glued to the dash of the race boat. So the technology for, from both you, Mark, and Michael, and Ellen, I want to thank you. We're just about out of time. But in terms of technology and the advancements, racing is much more fun, much safer, and a real enjoyable sport, not only for you guys, the drivers, the team owners, the throttle people, the steering guys, but as well as for the spectators as well. Would that be a fair statement? Um, I totally agree with every part of you. The only thing you have to understand is much, racing is goes, we go much, much faster now. I mean, you know, oh, okay. even my little 30-foot single-engine both be doing like 96 on the straights and like Mike said you know in his catamaran they're doing like over 130 140 if you look at the big turbine boats are doing like 150 160 on the straightaways um, it, it's, it's it's you know we're trying to keep up with the speed but um, the safety is always a big thing but it's it, right now the last two years um, the speed we are increasing in these boats is, is so intense so it's really hard to keep up with the safety on this boat well, I want to thank you guys for all coming on the show tonight. Uh, thanks for your insight. Thanks for your uh, discussions and everything like that. I hope to see you, Mark, Michael, and Ellen this weekend, and everybody else. Be sure and check the boats and the drivers and uh, the team owners at the Superboat Races here at Coachman Park this weekend. In the meantime, I want to thank my special guests for joining us this evening. And everybody else, drive carefully, stay safe, love your family. We'll see you at the boat races this weekend, and we'll catch you next week.
Mr. Robert Yates, legendary engine builder, car owner. I love listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.